You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Welcome to another edition of the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast that is dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things. I am here today with a good friend of mine. Uh, We are drinking some coffee. Uh, I am not going to disclose the fact that, again, it is Starbucks coffee. uh, I told Bridget that we would not drink any more Starbucks coffee, but here we are again. But on the brighter note, I do have a Groupon for two bags of Corvus coffee, but me being cheap and I'm not even going to try to balance that. I'm just cheap. I have my Starbucks coffee that is still being worked through. And so uh, the, it's it's kind of been weird uh, because there are a lot of things that we will talk about in this episode. Maybe I don't know if it, we could like that are socially happening right now, that are politically happening right now, today as we record this. But in three weeks, when this comes out, it's going to be. I hope that it's not old news. Uh, I hope that it comes to a resolution. But right now, uh, the Afghanistan. Um, stuff is going on and the the church in Afghanistan is under attack. And so, uh, man, I hope that in three weeks that there's a resolution, but if you're hearing this three weeks from now and there's still reason to fervently pray, uh, I would just petition you or ask you to, to join us in praying for that. Um, now, uh, that, that was the one thing that I wanted to get to, but now we're going to talk about who is here with, me. Uh, his name is Jordan Hunt. Jordan is, well, when we met probably when I first moved down here to Denver, I think, because you were playing drums at YA. Yeah. Uh, he's a drummer. He looks more like a snowboarder than a drummer. I, I mean, I guess they go one and one and it's each like other. My alter ego. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know which one is. Yeah. You. He's got his long hair pulled back in a man bun. He. He's a really good friend of mine. We. Um, have spent a lot of time off mic together just talking about life. And I've been honored to be a part of, uh, he, I feel like chapter by chapter, the formation yeah. of your testimony, which has been, or I guess in the, the, the last four years worth of chapters, yeah. uh, which has been really cool. Uh, I want to give you a chance to introduce yourself uh, outside of um Man, who are you, not what you do, would yeah. be my question. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, that's a good question. And honestly, I guess I'll start by saying that's this past year, year and a half, that's kind of been the question I've been asking myself as well. <laughs> um, or maybe the question I've been asking God more so. Um, so it's a good question, but uh, I would say... Man, at the core of who I am, obviously, first, um, 
you know, I believe in Jesus and that's at the core of who I am, I guess that's, that's basically the main thing. And, and throughout the storm that has been the past, um, really two years for me, I guess, two, two, three ish. Um, that's kind of like the one thing that has remained central and like stable. And so beyond that though, um, I guess I really hope to be somebody who is, um, humble. Okay. Um, somebody, you are. Hey, thanks man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also serve a servant too. So, um, a humble servant of Jesus is what I aim uh, to be. Aim to be. Okay. And, that was which is like the most Christianese answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was, but it's also like the thing is, is I think that we as Christians shouldn't shy away from the fact that we want to be that. So proclaim it. And Corey and I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Yeah, uh, about like when you put your voice to it and you say it out loud, it now you're accountable to it because you said yeah. it. Yeah. And so that's cool. Uh, who? Are you a sports guy? Are you a a movie guy? Do you like video games? Uh, I know that you like video games. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Um, Denver Broncos. Broncos. Yeah. Yeah. Broncos for sure. Um, I grew up um, a baseball fan, so Rockies. Actually, I was a big Yankees fan growing up too. As a um, kind of because all the Rockies players got bought by the Yankees. <laughs> we're a farm. Yeah. We're a farm team for the Yankees. Yeah. Thanks, DJ LeMayhew. Um, no, I, I grew up a huge uh, Derek Jeter fan, actually. Um, Derek Jeter, um, Jorge Posada, A-Rod, Jason Giambi, those guys. Mariano Rivera. Yeah. The greatest. Yeah, the greatest. I'm not much of a pitcher, though. So, What'd you play? Uh, I played center field. Ooh. Yeah. Did you have long hair then? Did you have flow when you played center field? Uh, in high school, I had kind of like that mid-length, kind of like surfer hair a little bit. Now, now, how would you describe your hair? Unruly. Unruly. <laughs> how, how long has it been since you cut your hair? Uh, I cut it on. <clears throat> I cut it on May first, twenty seventeen, and, and have not since. And have not since. And you have a dread that you're purposely allowing to dread, but everything else is not dreaded. There's five dreads actually. One oh. one was semi-intentional. It was actually a braid. It was actually a Jedi braid. <laughs> so I had a behind my left ear. And then I played a soccer season the summer of 2018. Um, never washed it, never looked at it, didn't think about it. And then one day I was like in the shower and I was like, I should like maybe unbraid it and like rebraid it. And I went to go do that. And it was I was like, oh, that's a full dread now. So I just left it. But then there's a few more that are accidental. Yeah. <laughs> I have dreams to have long hair, but God gave me curly hair and yeah. all it do, does is go straight out. So at this point I have an afro and a beard. My beard yeah. is my lone hope uh of someone mistaked me the other day. They were like, "Oh, you came home from Minnesota." I I thought you you feel like a Minnesota guy. And I'm like <laughs> I'm not. My wife is, but you got that mountain the, man vibe. That's though. What, they're like you kind of look like a Viking, and I'm like, part of me is insulted, and the other part is like so honored. I just can't decide which one I want to camp in, bro. That's full honor. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Jordan, I I want to jump into your testimony. I think yeah. uh, we we talked again this morning uh, over a bagel about how. 
it's it's cool because I haven't read this chapter yet uh, or haven't been a part of this chapter. I mean, let in on this part of the chapter. We just haven't caught up in yeah. the last couple weeks, month, two months. It's been busy for been it's been a minute. Uh, we normally meet before YA at Chewy's, uh, <laughs> but That's a spot, with man. Jess being pregnant. Thursdays have looked a little bit differently for me. So I've just been, I've just been busy. Um, but I, I want to give you the chance to, to share and that we're fully, we've talked, we're fully expecting in the fact that whatever is shared is meant to be shared and whatever is left out is meant to be left out. I think yeah. that's what the cool part about uh, testimonies are, is that the Holy spirit uses it in the way that he decides to, and not the way that we do. And so when you're hearing this, um, it's very intentional, not by me or Jordan, what you're hearing. There's no editing of material that comes into this, and there's really no planning. It's a prayer before we get going, and then we press record. And honestly, there's probably a chance at some point that my dog will bark in the background because we have contractors working in the basement. I locked him in our room with a sound machine, so hopefully he doesn't hear them. But if you do hear my 18-pound guard dog, please excuse me and He's give me ferocious. grace. We are... Yeah, he is the meanest little meatball of a dog. But and that's the most sarcastic. You can't I hope you sense the sarcasm dripping from the words as I speak them. But all right, Jordan, enough me talking. Uh the stage is yours. Okay. Um Yeah. I mean I so I thought a little bit last night, like, man, what am I gonna say? And I was like, wait, this is my life, this is my testimony. I know, I know my life. So um I can start I guess with a little bit of background. Um, so I was born here in Denver. Um, and Arapaho high school, right? Arapaho high school. Yeah. I was born at Arapaho high school <laughs> on the baseball field. <laughs> Center field. It's a crazy story actually. <laughs> um, no, I, I grew up, um, down here. I grew up in Hounds Ranch actually. And, um, had a pretty awesome childhood. Um, for the first 10 years or so. And it was, it was dope. My parents were awesome. Um, uh, had a, it was a Christian home. So I grew up with a, a good understanding of the Bible, a good understanding of the scriptures. Um, and did a lot of sports, um, started skiing when I was like four, that became a huge part of my life. Um, and, um, yeah, a little bit into, you know, schooling, my parents kind of decided that it, the, they wanted to homeschool me <laughs> um, just for, you know, purposes of being present, I guess, and, and uh, teaching me rather than letting the world teach me, I guess, was, was the concept. Um, and that was kind of the beginning for me of um, what would later become um, resentment towards the church or towards God or whatever you want to call it. Um, I didn't know at the time it was dope for me cause I got to, I didn't know any better. I was in first grade. So I, I, I went, I started homeschool in first grade. And to me that meant I got to be home and hang out with, uh, we had a good crew in my neighborhood. There were like seven of us kids who, um, would hang out all the time. So, did, you know, skated a lot got to go on ski trips with my, with my parents. Um, 
to me, it just meant I got to ski more. So I was, I was cool with it. Um, but then by like fourth grade, I was just really missing the school atmosphere and having friends, um, around all the time. And so kind of like begged my parents to like, let me go back to school. <laughs> and, uh, which is, uh, weird for a kid that age to be like wanting to go to school. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was always a social kid. Um, and so that for me was huge. Um, and so anyway, I fifth grade, I ended up going back to school, um, which I loved it. Um, but actually funny story, just, I didn't plan on saying this, but I, so, I mean, my parents were trying to find the right school for me to go to and blah, blah, blah. And so because of that, because it took a little bit of time, I ended up starting school a couple of weeks into the school year. My first day of sc- back in school was September 11th, 2001. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Dang. So I, uh, went back to school, um, and that entire first day of me being back in school was the TV was on and that was happening. So, um, it was crazy. Um, anyways, a whole side note, it's not relevant at all, but. Well, this actually, this, this episode will air the week of your school inauguration. So yeah. happy, yeah. happy school, school anniversary. <laughs> so anyway, I, I went back to school, um, I went to, um, my parents put me, uh, at Cherry Hills middle or I guess it was elementary school. Um, so it was a private Christian school, um, which became the next phase because now I'm in a private Christian school where, um, we're being taught in a quote unquote Christian atmosphere. Um, and, um, all of the issues that go along with that, you know, crazy fifth graders who are just finding out about things, um, whether it's drugs or alcohol Their body or, changing. Yeah. Yeah. Kissing girls and stuff. <laughs> uh, I had my first girlfriend in fifth grade and my parents freaked out about that. So did I in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> um, but more importantly than that though, um, that year, that was the year, um, my life kind of flipped and, uh, my parents, uh, got in this massive fight one Sunday morning and it was the fight was revolving around church and like what church my dad wanted to try out a new church. I don't even know to this day what really sparked it. It was like stuff in my parents' um past that I just have not really wanted necessarily yet to ask about. Mm-hmm. Um, but they got in this massive fight. It was like an all day screaming match. Um, and I ended up sitting in my room just l- listening to it and my brother sat in his room and that Sunday turned into like a month long fight where every day it was like screaming, every day it was yelling. Um, and that to me, if, and I don't know, maybe, I mean, I'm in counseling now. <laughs> so Which everybody should be in counseling. Yeah. Like <laughs> I, I had a big stigma against like, I can do it by myself. I, I need to go too. talk to somebody. Dude. I literally thought about, I was reading a book about, strong father strong daughter and in the first book like the first couple pages talked about this is what your daughter's gonna get ready to walk into and i'm like is it like wrong to just immediately put her in counseling to start and like like (laughs) skip preschool straight straight like some because like go talk to somebody other than me because it's i'm your dad and like you're not going to want to talk to me about some stuff but it needs to be like for example like what you're talking about because i have moments of my life where i remember 
sitting in the basement and just hearing my parents go like fighting comes with marriage. Yeah. But you don't understand that as a kid. Right. Like, and so I, I got like, when you was like, Oh, I haven't delved into that with my parents. I'm like, I have, I can like literally went back to like memories where I'm like, I have those exact conversations that like, yeah. I'm old enough to process them now, but I'm kind of afraid to open that Pandora's box again. Right. You're like, I kind of want to know what this was about, but also maybe I don't want to like, know. Like, do I need to? Yeah. But if I would have been in counseling at that time, I could have been, I could have had someone being like, no, no, it's okay. Mom and dad, they fight. Yeah. That's going to happen. Yeah. Um, sorry. Go ahead. No, you're fine. I, um, I, I, I was a pretty aware kid to some degree, as much as you can be at 10 years old. Um, so I was aware that this fight was not just a fight. It was, there was more to it and it was deeper and, but I didn't know what it was. And, um, that, so that was, if I look back now, that was probably that month long period was where depression really started for me. Um, and so depression, anxiety for, has pretty much been a part of my life as long as I can remember since pretty much 10. So what is, I'm 30 now. I'm old. So <laughs> you are old. Dude, I found wow. A, I found a gray hair, hair in my beard the other day and I was like, no, is that why your beard's gone today? Yeah. I shaved it for that reason. I mean, I'm kidding. <laughs> you, you do have a baby face. So are, is this a midlife crisis for you? Yeah. Quarter life. Hopefully Qu- quarter life. You want to be 120? 120. That's the goal. Yeah. With modern medicine, Elon Musk, get on that. <laughs> yeah. Take me to Mars. <laughs> Um, anyway, I, uh, so yeah, I mean, 20 years I've dealt with this stuff and now being older, I can see that, um, I think both of my parents also dealt with that stuff too. So, um, you know, to whatever degree genetics play a factor and, and whatever it was not to sound dark, but it was probably just a matter of time. But I mean, that was where I can look back and be like, this is where, I really, for the first time, felt it. And, I mean, that turned into a month long of my dad sleeping in the guest bedroom, um, which to them was, like, maybe a solution to, or, like, a short-term solution to to things. But um, me and my brother were fully aware that that was happening. And, you know, I don't even, I'm not even sure what to what degree that affected me, but I was aware of it. So, um, anyway, and... uh one thing that I will say is um, uh, that was the first, that month, that was the first time that I ever contemplated suicide. Wow. Um, and I only say that because this is, that that subject is something that I think our generation and, and also the generation below us deals with a lot. It's like prevalent, um, especially in the Western world, in America, whatever, Um. And for whatever reason, I have throughout my life found myself in situations where people who are also dealing with that stuff, for whatever reason, they open up to me about it. And um, I've been able to... Because you're willing to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Um, And I've had the opportunity to um, talk to a lot of kids and a lot of people in general about it and... So I only bring that up just to say that's part of my story and um, it's been used. So, And that's putting purpose to pain, A, and it's also illuminating the fact. I read a statistic yesterday, actually, that last year, one in, it was 11%, so a little over one in 10. And 
this is staggering to me. And I don't know to the point where I literally was like, Jess, there's no way that this statistic is true, but one in 10 women attempted suicide in the last year, but there wasn't a statistic about men. Right. It, it was, I honestly think that it's because the statistic would be so off because no man in today's society, I think we're getting better. Our generation, you um, are getting better at admitting that you're not infallible and that yeah. you're like, <laughs> that you're not like supremely strong, uh, defined strong. But um, you saying that, I think, and you've shown fruit of this in your life is like, oh, you'll talk about it. Whereas a lot of men, I don't think you could, you could get a statistic. I bet you that statistic would be higher than one in 10. Yeah. And then you, with that statistic, I mean, it's a tough sub- subject to get statistics on in general, but also with that, with that subject and with that statistic, you kind of have to define attempt to some degree because, and I can talk more about this later, but like there were, there have been times in my life where I pushed limits with <clears throat> substances or whatever, not really attempting suicide, but if it, accepting. If you didn't wake up, you didn't wake up. If I didn't wake up, that's fine with me kind of a thing. So you kind of have to, you kind of have to define that attempting. So yeah, anyway, it's, yeah, I, I really, it's funny. I, I don't enjoy <laughs> being vulnerable about that stuff. Um, but in the spirit of vulnerability with this podcast and, and also, man, like, I do think that there is value in just um, being vulnerable in life, um, even when, it, especially when it's hard. But it's not a fun topic to talk about. But for some reason, God has repeatedly shown me that in a lot of ways, in, in a lot of areas, but especially in this area, like if no one else is going to talk about it, I want you to talk about it. So, hmm. yeah, that's really good. And I keep interrupting you, but Not I would like to it. say you gave me permission before this. I you did. told me to. <laughs> um, but you said vulnerable and you have been vulnerable. But I, at one point, was challenged. The reason I went to counseling for the first time was one of my mentors. He challenged me. He said, Mitch, you are transparent. He's like, you you will talk about your mental and your uh, your life and your struggles uh, all over the place you do, but you're not vulnerable. Vulnerable mm-hmm. allows is saying you're allowing someone to touch hmm. your hurt and to like, to speak into it. Like being transparent is one thing, but I, I was, I was like, Hey Jordan, this is what I'm dealing with. But then ears were closed. Don't ask me about it. But, well, well <laughs> you can ask me about it, but like, don't try to give me advice on it. Don't try don't to like, know. like, don't try to like, you don't know. Like you don't like, I, I, I picture it as like, a dog who's wounded in a corner is like transparent in the fact that it is wounded in the corner. It is pissed off. It's like the only time I was ever bit by one of my dogs was like when it was hurt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And allowing somebody like if the dog was vulnerable, the reason it bites is because it's vulnerable. Like it's in like, it's afraid of vulnerability. Like don't touch me. Um, And so I started going to counseling because I was like, I need to let somebody like deal with the wounds. Other than me being like, they're there. Look at they're there. Yeah. Um, you can cre- you can reduce scar tissue by healing a wound the proper way, but you have this big gnarly scar if it's like 
kept getting picked at and pulled at and not uh, all that to say. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for speaking into something that makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, man. Scars tell stories, man. I'm all about it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, moving, moving past that, like, um, so yeah, I mean, for, for a 10 year old kid to be having those thoughts, like, I don't even know where it came from. There was never, I had a great childhood, you know, I was happy. Um, it came out of nowhere. It it hit me like, like a ton of bricks. Um, but my life was never the same after that. And my parents ended up, you know, patching things up and it was fine. But their relationship was never the same after that. Um, And there were a lot of times in my life um, growing up where I was like, man, just get divorced already. Like, it would be better if you guys just got divorced. And um, so then I moved into high school. Um, Middle school was a crazy, fun blur. (laughs) But... (laughs) I loved every, honestly, I loved every stage of school. People, some people were like, oh man, I hated middle school. Or I hated high school. Or I hated all school. I loved all school um, for whatever reason. I, I just loved being with people and I loved learning and whatever. But um, I moved to high school. And so I lived in Hounds Ranch, but I wanted to play baseball and soccer. And Arapaho had better programs for both. Um, and a lot of my friends were going to Arapaho. So I had to open enroll. I had to which is funny, I had to write this letter to the principal being like, this is why I would like to go to your high school, please. <laughs> and <laughs> I won't be a bad kid. Yeah. Um, so now I'm, now I'm 14 years old and I've experienced private school, homeschool, and now public school. And so I kind of got a full spectrum of everything by the time I was 14, which looking back is kind of dope. But went to public school, went to Arapahoe, loved it. I loved Arapahoe, man. Um, and, um, oh, I should also mention maybe it's worth mentioning for my story, I guess, to some degree that it, that same year, fifth grade, that's when I started drumming too. I got a drum set for Christmas and, um, um, it turned into an outlet for me with my newfound anger and rage <laughs> as a 10 year old kid. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I took lessons for about a year, year and a half. Um, but beyond that, everything else was self-taught and more than anything else, it became an outlet for me to like go down into the basement and like more than, more than playing a rhythm, I was just getting anger out. Um, I would like try and teach myself a song. I put my headphones on, try to learn a song and then get to a point where like I was frustrated with a part and I would keep playing it and keep playing it. And then when I got to a point where I couldn't get it, I would just slam the snare really hard with my sticks, like slam it as hard as I could and then throw the sticks across the room. And it was funny because my parents kind of got to a point where they'd know if they heard that snare slam, they knew I was done playing. And then I would like storm up the stairs and like that was my playing for the day. Act normal, so, act normal, act normal. Here he comes, here he comes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, I went to high school. I pretty much quit playing actually um, just because sports became my life. Um, baseball um, kind of took over my life um, as a year-round sport between you got fall ball and then you got winter workouts and then you got um, tryouts and then you got spring and then you got summer ball and then it's back to fall ball. Um, And that became my life. Um, School also kind of took over my life. And um, yeah, uh, so high school was a crazy time for me because this is the first time in my life now where, I mean, I'm 
being exposed to the world, I guess you could say. Um, and at the same time, my freshman year of high school, the church that I grew up in, the pastor got caught in this crazy scandal where he was like hiring male prostitutes. And so not even just prostitutes, but also male prostitutes and got caught and that wrecked the church that I was growing up in. And then that kind of also, th- it affected my family, obviously. Um, but it also affected me in the way of like, not questioning my faith, but it was kind of like this veil had been lifted where I was like, man, everything that I thought about the church and everything I thought about Jesus is now being put to question to some degree. And I don't even know to what degree, but but things are different now. And now I'm in the world. Now I'm in, the, in this public high school and it's great and I'm loving it. I'm meeting all these friends, but I'm meeting these friends who have no background in church also. And I'm now I'm learning about uh, people's lives who have no background with Jesus at all. And it was great, but it was also just new. And um wasn't long before, um, you know, I got into kind of the party scene and figured out that alcohol was not this crazy thing where one sip and you're like drunk and um, whatever. And one thing led to another. And now I'm like drinking with my friends, um, especially when I turned 16, um, then I could go do what I wanted to. And my home life was like at a point where the the less amount of time I could spend at home, the better. Um, and that is a really unfortunate thing. I kind of pulled away from my family t- to a degree. And my brother, um, when he got to high school, he got into like the theater scene and he kind of did the same thing. Um, I was spending a lot of time in practice. He was spending a lot of time in rehearsals and everything and whatever. And so my family kind of just got a little bit more and more distant throughout high school, um, regrettably, but, um, yeah. And my mom had, had a crazy pass. Um, so my mom, I'll just mention she, she ended up dying in 2015. I think you knew that. Mm. Um, I only say that now just to say, when I say, when I talk about her in the past tense, that's why, (laughs) but, um, she had a crazy pass. Um, with drugs and alcohol and crazy stuff that um, I learned as I got a little bit older, but um, she kind of picked up drinking again when I was in high school. Um, she she drank occasionally when I was growing up, but kind of had a handle on it, but she, she kind of picked it back up when I was in high school. And so it became, <coughs> excuse me, became this kind of thing where my dad was working a lot and he also did not keep it secret that he hated his job. So when he was home, he was distracted or trying to preach to me and my brother. And my mom, great mom. Both my parents are great. I'm not trying to dog on either one of them. They're, they were both. My dad, my dad still is awesome. My mom is too. But um, So please don't hear that. That's not what I'm saying. But, I don't hear that. But um, she kind of you know got back into some drinking. And my brother was doing his theater stuff. And... I was doing sports and doing the party thing. And that became my kind of high school thing. Um, And I naturally kind of started to stray away from my faith. Um, I I mean, I I accepted Jesus when I was probably five or six. And 
and it was real. Like I meant it, I understood it and I, and I meant it. But as the world became more open to me, I kind of was started to question things and be like, well, why do I believe what I believe in? How come this Christian person is like the biggest douche? Sorry, I don't know if I can say you that. You can say douche. <laughs> I think. I don't know what the the mate. I'm not going to click explicit when I publish this. <laughs> because, so yeah. <laughs> um. Why? You know, I I started kind of to notice like how come these Christian people act this way, but then like this dude who has no background in the church at all is like one of my best friends and like the nicest dude. And so these types of things started to to affect me and. All along, I had this like growing underlying depression that now I'm like 16, 17 years old trying to just like drown um, in a bottle or whatever. And um, anyway, uh, started smoking weed too. Uh, had a friend who smoked a lot of weed, and you know, one time I was just like, you know what, maybe I'll, you know, what I'll give it a shot. Like, Things in my life are not really great. Might as well. And so I did. And dude, right away, I loved it. I was like, um, you smoke weed yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Out of water bottles. Which yeah. is like, <laughs> yeah. Somehow, as a high school kid, you can find a way. Oh, dude. Yeah. Stoners are very um, inventive. Yeah. The fact that I was able to maintain... As you're talking, I'm like, hey, someone else who started drinking before they had their license. Hey, mm-hmm. like yeah. I, 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 there were two types of high school um, experiences and both of them live in my house. Uh, mine, yeah. who uh, I was introduced to drinking in literally like freshman year, maybe eighth grade. And then my wife's who she didn't drink until she was 22. And so like we talk about high school experiences and yeah. as if because I only know mine and I'm like. Everybody did this. Right. And she's like, nobody did Dude, that. <laughs> I, I, it's funny, man, that you say that. I, I'm, I'll i skip ahead just for the, this part. But like uh, my senior year of high school, I got an MIP, minor in possession for anyone who doesn't know what that means. But <laughs> uh, I got MIP at this party. And that was the first time that my parents really found out that I did anything. Like I, they probably suspected and knew. But like that was the first time they officially found out anything. And I remember that night when I got it, trying to explain to my parents, I'm like, you don't understand, like, everybody either drinks or smokes weed. Not, like, obviously everybody, but I was like, but I was like, man, you got to understand that, like, this is a large, and I was trying to justify it to my parents, basically. Yeah. But I was like, but I was, wasn't Punish wrong. me less because everyone's doing it. <laughs> well, I don't know if I was even trying to, like, get less punished. I just, I just was honestly trying to have a conversation with my parents about it. And, and I was just like, this is a prevalent thing. And- my parents would be like, no way, no way. There's no way. And I was like, well, it is. But anyway, I thought about that when you just said that. Yeah. So I, I, well, the thing is, is like getting them. I should have had multiple MIPs. Yeah. Like the amount of times that cops rolled up on parties that I was in the basement of, and I was just lucky that I was not the slowest one there. <laughs> like, like, yeah. and I was really good at hopping fences because I was taught. It was a hopping a fence was like a two movement thing for me because right. I was tall. So, uh, tall and athletic. Tall, like, oh, dude, I do this at practice yeah, every this day. Is, yeah. And we played fugitive all the time. So I've been running through these yeah. people's backyards. This is not an uncommon thing, but there, the Lord, I literally believe that it was the Lord who covered me because if I had MIPs, I wasn't getting scholarships. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I, especially to the school that I went to where they, they came in and they, they asked the first thing that they asked, they went to the janitor and asked, what kind of kid is Mitch Parsons? Hmm. 
which is kind of cool. Yeah. But like, then they went to my coach. Hmm. Actually, they went janitor, teachers, admin, coach. Yeah. Uh, and so the athletic ability was the last thing that they cared about. Right. Well, and the coach is probably more partial to be like, well, I want Mitch to go to Yeah. And little school, did so. little do they know that I was just really good at not getting caught. Yeah. <laughs> dude. Yeah, man. I mean, we don't have time for all my crazy stories, but dude, God has, God's hand has saved me from a lot of things. Yeah. It's crazy how you can look back and look and be like, man, I should have got screwed here. I should have got caught here. And uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, I'll skip through the, uh, as much as possible here because testimonies w- should be, I think, way more about, you know, what comes after. But um, anyway, I got into to some drugs. It's crazy, though. I will say real, real, real briefly, like my a lot of my most of my good middle school friends, they got into this stuff. Um, like the harder stuff, um, like freshman, sophomore year. But by sophomore year, a lot of them were doing X, Molly, Coke, all this stuff. And I remember just being like, man, I love you guys, but like I'm better better than you. Like not better than you, but like I was still clinging to this this faith aspect that was like, I'm not going to do those things because I've been taught better. Mm-hmm. Um, little did I know <laughs> what my testimony <laughs> was going to be. But anyway, so, high, so uh, junior year of high school. I'm smoking a bunch and to the point where I was like, man, this is costing a lot of money. And like, I work at Best Buy. I don't make that much, you know, like minimum wage was something like six eighty or something. My first job was lifeguarding. I think I made like six forty. <laughs> stupid, but I got a dope tan out of it. So that was cool. Um, and you talked to girls the whole, whole time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I actually really like that job, but not just for that reason. But, um, anyway, so I, I hit a point where I was like, you know what? Um, I'm smoking a lot. I'm, you know, spending a lot of money on like drugs and alcohol. Like I I might as well make money off of it. Hmm. And so I talked to my buddy and I was like, dude, what would it look like for me to start selling weed? And he's like, bro, I got someone you can talk to. This is how it works. Like I can teach you the ropes. And I was like, cool. And so junior year, I got into um, selling a little bit of weed and kind of became, you know, a little by little thing. And, um, by senior year, man, like a, people, a lot of people in the school knew like, dude, if you want good weed, go to Jordan. And, um, that kind of became my thing. And it, and t- to a degree that I didn't realize it became my identity too, for a while. Um, cause I, I loved it. I got to, I got to meet people and like socialize and, um, whatever. And I wasn't really in it to make money. I was in it to offset the cost of my habits. <laughs> and, and, um, and I did, and then also made money with it too. And then also smoked my friends up for free. So like that just became my thing, man. And then, um, and it was also just a crutch for me to be like, to, um, uh, placate my, home life and the internal struggles that I was going through. And, um, but I was happy with it. Um, anyway, ended up getting that MIP my senior year. Um, and because of that, my parents, you know, found out all this stuff. And because of that, my parents were like, you have to go to a Christian college. Like we will not let you go to any other college. Um, I really wanted to go to CU for obvious reasons. And, (laughs) 
Um, because of the great education and the scenic views. Yep. Because of Chautauqua Park. That's why. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, and so I was like, this is a little rebellious kid. So I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to find the, the biggest NCAA school that I can find that has a D1 football team. And I can find a party scene and it's going to be a great time. And so I uh, found Baylor. And as the only school I applied to, actually, because I got my acceptance letter before I even did other applications. And so I was like, great, here I go. So moved to Texas, um, went to Baylor with RG3. <laughs> it was kind of cool. Um, and hated it. Like, this was, an, this was the next, if 10-year-old me was a, was a turning point in my life, freshman year, first semester was, was the next big turning point because I – most people struggle a little bit freshman year, you know, to figure out who they are and your freedom and like trying to make friends and whatever. But I'm in a new state too. I've never lived outside of Colorado and Texas can be a totally different culture. And I found that out, especially a private Christian university where with a Baptist background, I hated people there, (laughs) honestly. Like I, I struggled to find people that I connected with. Um, and until I found the rugby team, I ended up joining the rugby team and I was like, all right, these are my people because most of the guys on the rugby team were, were not there for religious purposes. Um, I finally, after two, three months of being there, found somebody who had a hookup for that sweet, sweet ganj. <laughs> <laughs> Except for not, it was Texas. We just sucked. But, um, I finally felt like I was, was finding my place there, unfortunately. Uh, but I had already made the decision to transfer home and go to CSU because all I wanted to do was party and snowboard. Um, and most of my friends were at CSU, which is why I chose that over CU. But, um, but the reason why that was a turning point was I started having these panic attacks um, freshman year at, at Baylor. Um, that was the first time I ever had panic attacks, and the depression crept in heavily. And I should mention, too, the, the summer before freshman year, I went to – there was this camp that I grew up going to, um, summer camp. It's like a two-week camp, um, sports camp kind of thing. It was outdoor. It was in Durango. So it was kayaking, mountain climbing, um, lake stuff, wakeboarding, whatever. Um, loved it. But it was a Christian camp, too, um, Kanakuk. So um, I was coming off this camp high going into freshman year. So I – at that point, I was like, man, like all the things I've been doing are just like – like, I want to give this up. I was really in a place where I was like, man, Jesus, I need you to take the wheel again. Like, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> and so it was, it was legitimate. But then I found myself in this place where I was struggling. And so then I started having these panic attacks. And, like, the depression came back in hard. And this was the first time in my life where I started having these uh, dissociative episodes. Um, and they could last hours to days where... Um, I started to question reality and, and the important thing for me in that, in that, in saying that is I was not really drinking or doing drugs in this, you know, season because a, the camp high and B, uh, it was hard for me to find it at, um, at Baylor until the rugby team. But so I'm like completely sober and depression, panic attacks, and dissociation are happening to me and it's not related to substance at all. And I was like, why is this happening? I couldn't figure it out. Um, 
literally started to question everything. I had this moment in my life where I really wasn't sure what I believed anymore. And I found myself in a place where I was like, you know what, maybe I'm an atheist. Hmm. Um, which really, really more than that, it was agnostic, I guess you could say. Um, but I, I, for the first time in my life, I found myself in this place where I was like, well, I grew up believing these things, but so did some kid over in Afghanistan who's a Muslim, you know, he grew up believing what he believes. Why, why is what I believe more right? Or, you know, a kid in India who's Hindu or whatever, like, why do I think that what I grew up believing is right? Um, maybe I'm completely wrong. And so I started questioning everything. And I, and I took this scriptures course at Baylor too. And oddly enough, that scriptures course actually made me question my faith even more hmm. for reasons that are not pertinent right now. But um, yeah, so I, so I transferred to CSU. I came back to CSU basically with this total lack of faith, um, newfound panic and dissociation, um, and uh, and a sole purpose of partying and snowboarding. And uh, yeah, that so I was I was just lost, <laughs> and then. Crazy things happened. Second semester of freshman year was just a mess. Um, at the time, it was a great mess. It was a fun mess. Um, minus the fact that, dude, the dissociation became, like, real. And that became my biggest, like, issue in life was, like, dude, I don't even know what is real. Um, I don't even know if I exist. Um, and I've talked to a few, a few people about the dissociation and what that looks like. And the best way that I can describe it to people is this sensation of like, dude, maybe I'm in a coma. Like maybe everything that I think I'm experiencing is, is in my mind and somewhere in some other place of existence, I'm in a coma and my real body is in a, is asleep and this is all fake. Um, and like I said, that could last for days at a time sometimes. And so I, I just really was struggling with that. And, um, so that's where I was at. Um, sophomore year of, high, of college, I picked up the, well, actually the summer after freshman year, I picked up um, selling again. Uh, started making good money with that. And then I had a friend who came to me one day and said, have you ever thought about selling cocaine? And I was like, well, not really. Um, and he goes, dude, you can make way more money doing that. And um, we talked about it. He had he had the, the guy for me to go to, and I thought about it a lot. And um, I like to think that I'm a decently smart guy, so I, I thought through all the all the aspects of it. And I was on my way to a party one time. Up, and we were going up to this cabin to go to this party with, um, at this girl's place. And I was talking to him about it and he goes, he goes, dude, yeah, you could do that. But like, there's felonies, um, attached to that. And like, that's a bad idea. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. And he's like, well, he's like, dude, but why don't you like, what if you like grew weed and did that? And so he and I ended up sitting and having this whole conversation about that. And 
at the end of it, we both were like, yeah, that's a great idea. He's like, dude, I'm, he's like, I'm taking a year off of school. He was going to school in New York. He's like, I'm going to come home next year. He's like, I'll front you the money to, to start the, the operation. And then I'll move back next year. And then you and I can do it together and we'll split everything 50, 50. Um, and I was like, dope. He's like, you just start it up and I'll be there. And I was like, great. I go back for sophomore year. He and I sit down. We spend the summer like formulating a plan. We sit down sophomore year at the very beginning um, of the school year. And we sit down and have this final conversation where like we've gone to the, the um, and this is before weed is legal too. Um, it was still illegal, but we went to the grow shops. We went to the dispensaries. We, we did our research. We found the prices and the, the costs and, and everything. And I spent that summer after freshman year actually like um, kind of vetting people almost, you could say. I ended up having eight different people who I went to that I was like, if I provided you with mass quantities of weed, would you take it back to your school or your city and then sell it off and I'll just be your supplier? So I had eight people that wanted to do that across like five or six states. So it became... Dang it became an interstate thing, yeah. which then is also a felony. So I was an idiot, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that was our whole plan. We sat down at a Chipotle one day in Fort Collins college in Laurel. Yep. And, uh, we were like, all right, I here's tattoos from a, from a shop next to the Chipotle. Yeah. Just fun little ad lib. Right. Yeah. Anyway, this is taking way too long on this stupid story, but it, I swear there's a purpose to it. Um, <laughs> We sat down and like, we've had a whole business model and we're like, all right, here's the thing. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to be. And here's our, our profit for the first three months. Here's our profit for the first six months. And we worked out this plan where basically we had worked out that if everything goes according to plan, we'll make a million dollars within the first 18 months. And we sat there and we looked at each other and we were like, no cold feet. This is, we're doing this, you and I together, no one's backing out, and we shook on it. And then a week later, I was on campus, and I met a guy who wanted to preach the gospel to me, and um, he just was like, you know, can I, you have a minute to talk or whatever? And I was like, yeah, whatever. Thought he wanted directions to the student center or something. If you've ever gone to see, if you went to CSU or you've ever been on CSU's campus, there are, once you recognize what they look like, there's literally dozens of these, not students, but they're posed as students walking around to the point where like, I got, I try to be kind to everybody, but they would walk up and it's like, I don't have time. No, I can't. Sorry. Don't talk to me. Literally, like, yeah. like, don't talk to me. Yeah. Because so, so many times, like, I was late to class because I sat and listened to these same people that mm-hmm. came up to you. So, mm-hmm. sorry. No. Yeah. It, it's that, and that's a whole nother thing. But I was a sophomore. I didn't know any better. And also, I was in a place. The purpose of me saying everything that I just said is to, I was in a place where I was lost and broken. And the first question he asked me was, like, do you think that you're going to go to heaven when you die? And I said, honestly, man, I don't even know anymore. Hmm. And that was not the answer that he expected because most people just say yes. And I was just like, dude, I don't even know. I, I literally have no clue. And ended up talking to him. And he was like, dude, like, let's sit and talk and do a Bible study sometime. And I was like, actually, that you know, that'd be great. Long story short, I ended up 
meeting with this guy for Bible studies about three weeks later, um, found myself in a place where I was like, man, I I feel like I see the gospel in a way that I've never really seen it before. And I don't know what to do with this. And I ended up just telling him everything that I was involved in, in my life. And he's like, yeah, you got to count the cost. Like, obviously you have some cost in your life. Like to give these things up is a spiritual cost. It's also a, a monetary cost and it may even be a friendship cost. And yeah, so I did. I thought about it a lot and I prayed about it a lot. And, um, um, I have, I've had this like very interesting connection to the spiritual for a long time, which is a lot to get into. But, um, man, the night that I was really praying through all this stuff, I was laying in my room and thinking through all this. And I was in this place where I was like, I think I'm going to do this. Like, I think I'm going to repent. And like, I think that I want to give all of this up and change everything. Um, and I swear to you, I felt the room get cold and I started hearing like this whispering voice in the corner of my room that sounded like, this is, makes me sound crazy, but, um, if you, you know, in Harry Potter, when like the parcel tongue, yeah. right, that's what's called. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It sounded like that coming from the corner of my room and the room got cold and I was like, Oh my God. And I just started praying and I was just like, and, and crying. And I was just like, God, I was like, I am a mess. My life is a mess everything about my life is worth nothing. And whatever is left of this mess that I have created, like it's yours. Like whatever you, whatever is left is yours. And I, and, and I don't know what that means or looks like, but dude, take it. And as soon as I did that, like the voice in the room stopped, the room got normal temperature and I just had this like profound image in my head of like angels rejoicing, mm. which I know is like from the Bible, but I, I didn't know that actually at the time. And, but I just had this profound image that I like, to me, it was like if the Broncos just scored the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, <laughs> and then everybody on the couch like jumps out of their seat and they're like, yeah. And it was like that, but it was the angels and they were just like, so stoked. And Dude, it was crazy, man. Like overnight, my heart just like changed. And um, I dove deep into that church. Um, ended up crazy thing. You know, I was like, how am I going to tell my friend that, that you know, we said no backing out? You know, this was our plan and, and we shook, shook on it. And like we were, we were serious when we said no backing out. And so I prayed about that for like two weeks and then, I prayed about it with God. I was like, man, what do, I, what do I do? Like, I love this dude. I don't want to lose his friendship. And then he texts me like two weeks later and goes, bro, we need to talk. And he ends up calling me and he's like, I, he's like, I just, I, I feel like, I know we said no backing out. And so don't hate me for this, but I feel like this is a bad idea and we shouldn't do it. And I was like, held my phone there and I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and so he and I ended up just sitting on the phone and having like this really good conversation about like, yeah. Let's not, let's not. And so we didn't. And, uh, anyway, that's that. So then I gave my life to Jesus. And so now it became a whole new thing of like, what is the gospel and, and how am I supposed to live? And, and, um, yeah. So I dove deep into this church and then that was like 
that turned a whole new leaf in my book. Um, that turned into a whole new set of issues, um, as you know, some of but. Which, as I'm sitting here, I'm like, I earlier was saying all these people who are like approaching people randomly and evangelizing, I was rude to them and told them to go away. Mm-hmm. I had context when I said that. The people, yeah. When you're listening to this, I, you will understand, but I promise people who walk up like with pure hearts who are, who will approach and speak the like speak the gospel kudos to you i've talked about how i'm not good at that but this as you'll learn is a different circumstance so yeah just it, to cu- just to like make a balancing statement i'm not a jerk i promise <laughs> no everybody who has gone to csu or everyone that goes to csu knows these people they are infamous Notorious, whatever. Literally. Um, and, but, you know, I, and this is the thing. Okay. This church that I was a part of, and I'll, and I'll, and I'll just tell you, first of all, I was, I was a part of this church for four years. Um, it was a, a lot. And it, it, like, they have a reputation for being a cult. I think, and I, I think that they were actually like labeled as one. Yeah, right? I think so. Like, like, like the like the state recognized them as a cult. Yeah, I think so. And and I'll say first, I'm very cautious. I'm I'm, I'm very cautious with using that term, that label, just because of the fact that like a lot of a lot of things a lot of people a lot of groups can be can be labeled that and dude at the end of the day man i gave my life to the lord at this place and so and it, and they protected you from potentially like a life behind like yeah. a life of in and out of prison being a drug dealer that's yeah and that's one thing I'll, let me take a step back for a second i forgot yeah i i was at a place in before that when I was kind of formulating this plan and everything, I was in such a low place in my life that like I was aware of the risks. I wasn't just a stupid kid being like, yo bro, like I grew up listening to rap music. So like money, power and respect, like let's go get this bread type of thing. Like (laughs) uh, I, I was legitimately at a place where I was like, I'm either, there's two options. I'm either going to make a ton of money and it's going to be dope or I'm going to get arrested and go to prison. And if I go to prison, I'm going to kill myself in prison. Hmm. That was, those were my two options that I saw. Um, so not only was I taking a risk of prison, I was preemptively planning on if that, if it goes that way, I'm just going to take my life there. Hmm. So hmm. they pulled me out of that. Well, well, Jesus pulled me out of that. He used them as a vehicle. Yes. So, anyway, uh, that that to say, it's. I'm hesitant to use the term cult, but yes, they had cult-like tendencies and characteristics, and um, I it took me four years. Well, it took me a while to see that. Um, it took me four years to get out. Um, but yeah, man. And, and then that's a whole new set of issues because 
while I was learning the gospel, which I did, I also was, it, it was being superimposed with all of these like human concepts of how a Christian should live their lives. And I don't want to get into the emotional aspects of that because then it can become blaming and it can become something that I don't want it to be, but I can talk about specific facts about who they were and who they are. And I will say that one of the biggest issues that I, that I have with that church is that more, more than a fear of God, I grew a fear of the pastor. His name's Chris. Chris became this like Pope-like figure. Um, everybody in the church starts to act like Chris, think like Chris, watch the movies that Chris watches, like talks like him, uses the inflections that he uses. Um, and, and more so than being in reverence to God, which, the, which I was as well, um, it became this reverence to Chris. And, um, and, and the reason why I, I've sat and talked to a few pastors recently and my, and my, and my counselor, my therapist as well about a lot of this stuff. And the biggest issue that I can see is it, it's this, it's this top down hierarchical church where Chris is at the top and then there's like three associate pastors under him. And then there's like, kind of like some older ministers, they call themselves, and there's the ministers underneath them. And those are the people that you meet on campus. They call themselves ministers. And so it's this very much like hierarchical thing, and it all leads up to Chris. And I'll tell a couple brief things just to give some context of what I'm saying. Like I, when I was 20, I went to my friend's 21st birthday party. Um, my friend from before this church and I got there early. I just wanted to say happy birthday and birthday to my buddy. Um, and you know, didn't do anything crazy. Didn't drink nothing like illegal or whatever. Um, people started showing up more and more girls started showing up more and more and more alcohol and drugs started happening. And I left, got out. I was like, I'm going home. Happy birthday. I love you. I, at the time, thought that I felt this conviction in my heart of like, I don't know if I was supposed to be there. I don't know if this is like an atmosphere that's like, that God doesn't approve of me being there. And so I went to my minister, the guy that met me on campus, the way that they work is weekly Bible. So I would meet with him weekly. And so I went to him and I was like, hey man, this is what happened. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about it. And he was just like, oh man, like, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what to, you know, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I'm going to have to talk to, his name's Brett. Um, my ministers, I hate calling it. It sounds so weird, yeah. but, but that's the thing is you call them your minister because it's this weird, like cult like thing. Right. Yeah. So Vinny is his name. So I, so Vinny was like, man, I, I don't know, man, I got I'm going to talk to Brett and get some counsel on it. So then Brett calls me that week and well, actually no, Vinny called me. He was like, Hey, me and you and Brett need to talk this week. I was like, okay. So I sat and talked with them for an hour at the student center where I just got berated at like, like literally yelled at by this dude who was in the a, middle of the student center. Yeah. Which is like a very populated crowded place. Yeah. We found a corner where there wasn't a lot of people, but I mean, 
you could hear it through the halls, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so I'm literally getting publicly humiliated by this guy who's in his probably mid thirties. Um, and he's just yelling at me about how, like, I don't listen to the Holy spirit. And like, he questions whether or not I, I can even hear the voice of the Holy spirit anymore and how I'm like on this path towards backsliding and whatever. And I should be, I should like seriously be afraid for like my soul and like, um, all of this stuff and blah, blah, blah. And for an hour. And then at the end of it, I, I had picked up drumming again at this church. They found someone found out that, that I had drummed and they're like, dude, you should play on the worship team. Um, which was like an honor. It was like a massive honor to, to play on the worship team there. Um, and so at the end of this conversation, he's like, I think that you need to take, um, a step away from the worship team and, you know, we'll, we'll decide what your future looks like, um, in that regard. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I understand. Like, I'm just, I, you're right. I'm a total, <clears throat> dude, I'm just a total depraved person. Like I'm, gosh, I should not have gone to that birthday party where I did nothing. <laughs> yeah. And so looking back, I, I don't think that it was conviction. I think it was guilt, um, guilt that came from this place of like, man, I, if I don't, if I don't expose this to these guys, like God's wrath is going to be poured out on me. And that is the overarching theme of that church. And so I did, they, the worship leader, I, I, uh, I didn't play anymore. And in fact, they never again in the next two and a half years that I was there never again, even mentioned bringing me back. Never, the conversation never even happened. So I didn't, so I never played there again. Um, and, um, man, I, I got, I, I could talk about stories from that for the longest time, but about that church for the longest time. But the only other thing that I'll mention about it right now is so a pastor recently, I was talking to him about it and he was like, so like, do they have any sort of board? Like, are there any sort of like board of elders or like, do like, does Chris have any authority above him? Yeah. Any accountability? Yeah. Accountability. And I was like, no, it's just him at the top. It's him at the top of this thing. No accountability other than God. And basically what Chris says, it becomes God's word. Um, I was, my hair was long when I started going there. Um, I was mocked incessantly um, until I cut it. Um, having long hair was a feminine sign. Having my ears pierced was a, a feminine sign. And so I was mocked incessantly hmm. for my ears and and for my hair until I changed it. Um, and that's the way that they work too a lot is the people, especially the people in authority, the ministers and whatnot, they will just um, subtly mock you until you change aspects of your life that are not, that are not issues of salvation, just issues of life or whatever. But now, see, see now I'm getting into like the, and I don't want to get into the emotional side of it, but, but, um, you're okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean, four years later, um, I mean, I, I literally ruined friendships because of this church. I, some of my best friends, um, I wrecked relationships with them, um, because of this church and because of the way that I acted towards them, um, because of the teachings that I was receiving from this church and, 
And, and that's, and, and again, this isn't, I don't, not everything there was bad. I learned the gospel. I grew immensely in my character as a person. Um, but there were just some things that I got attached to that I then later had to learn to shed. Um, and, um, four years later I got out, which was a dynamic exit, (laughs) not on my part. It was just, there was a wave of people that left at the same time that I did in it. And it shook everything in a lot of people's lives. And a really good friend of mine left around that same time too. And he was, he's the best dude, like awesome leader, awesome Christian dude, solid guy, um, loving, compassionate, whatever. Um, and he ended up coming to, to a head with, with Chris and got essentially excommunicated from the church. And then Chris, from what I heard, I wasn't there at the time, but apparently he spent the entire next Sunday just talking about this group of people that had just left the church and how it was like this pruning and that like, you know, what was left in the church was like the elect or whatever. And that everyone that had left was like destined for damnation and, and, uh, we're, we're just like lost and, um, crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and, uh, anyway, uh, spending too much time on this, but, um, it's a big part of your testimony. It is. And so I think that it's important to, I mean, you're not the only person who has church baggage. You're not the only person who has church hurt and scars. And so giving a, a well-rounded picture is important because I wouldn't have like, I, my church hurt is different than your church hurt yeah. and my processing is different than your processing. And so there is somebody out there who I'm sure has a similar experience. Yeah. So you're not going too far into it at all. Okay. Well, to move along with my story, um, I left, but when I left, I felt this overwhelming sense of condemnation and overwhelming, overwhelming sense of like, God has given up on me. Like the Holy Spirit, I I cannot hear the Holy Spirit because I've been told by people that I cannot hear the Holy Spirit. And therefore, He has left me. And I am chaff or whatever, you know. To, mm-hmm. And so I just, that became this thing in my mind that I just could not move past, could not. And so I, I got, um, unfortunately, I, I found myself in a place of, of like, I don't know what to do with myself. And so I got a little bit, um, back into like some drugs. Um, I started smoking again. I had a friend who had a, a few different prescriptions and whatever. Um, cocaine was easily accessible. And I found myself in a place where I'm trying to finish up my med degree. You know, I was pre-med. So, whatever I ended up starting to get into like a lot of painkillers and some cocaine and occasionally smoking weed and then drinking heavily. And I was ashamed massively of what I was doing, but I I felt like just abandoned by these people. In fact, 
when I was getting ready to leave this church, Vinny came to me one day and he goes, dude, I feel like, and it, and it was, there was no emotion. It was very straightforward. He just goes, I feel like you're not taking anything seriously. I feel like you don't take your, your faith seriously. Um, and you know, I don't really know what to tell you, but I feel like there's really no point in us doing Bible studies anymore. So, um, why don't you, you know, give me a call if you ever feel like taking this seriously again. And I was dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. And I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, all right, well, see you. And so this dude who for four years had been like my mentor and like, not only was I doing Bible studies with him, I also learned, I was, I was helping him lead Bible studies with other younger kids. Um, I went on missions trips where I, we were going to other schools and preaching on their campus. I did some open air public speaking and, and preaching. Um, I thought for the longest time that I was going to go on staff at this church and become one of those guys with backpacks walking around on campus. That was what I thought God was calling me to do was full-time ministry with this church. And um, prior to the phase where I was like, you know what, this is actually not where I, I want to be. Um, and so now he's coming to me, this guy who, who I was close to. And for four years, he mentored me and he's just like, give me a call. If you ever want to take your faith seriously again, deuces. Yeah. Peace. So I was like, dope. All right. So anyway, I got into like some, some of this stuff. I'm trying to finish up my med degree and what he, what he, what he was aware of, but like really didn't care was this was also a season of my life where my mom just got sick. Hmm. She, my mom had health issues my entire life. Um, I never saw her run. She was never capable of running. So, you know, we'd go on these ski trips. She would sit at the lodge and we'd hang out with her at lunch and afterwards. But she had polio <clears throat> as a baby and that affected her entire life. But, and, and alcohol and everything else. And so there was always this thing in my head of like my mom, this may happen one day, but, um, then it happened. Then my mom got sick and I'm finishing up my pre-med degree and my brother came out of the closet, which wrecked, not wrecked. And it, it, uh, it affected my entire family. Um, especially my parents. Um, it, it was not really a surprise to any of us, but when it was, you know, when, it, when, it, when he came out, it was, he came out with like an anger so that was going on. Um, then I'm going through all this turmoil of like, maybe this church is not really living the way that, 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 the, that the gospel and treating people the way that the gospel is the way that I see it. But for me to ask questions and for me to be like, hey, maybe this is not completely right. For me to ask those questions was met with condemnation. Mm-hmm. So I'm like having a spiritual crisis. I'm trying to finish my pre-med degree. I'm, my brother comes out of the closet. My mom gets sick. All of these things are happening at once. And then Vinny's like, call me if you ever want to take your life and your faith seriously again. And I'm just like, dude, I don't even know what to do. So I get back into some of this stuff a little bit. Finished my degree. My dad asked me um, after I graduated to move home um, and help him take care of my mom. And I'm like, I didn't know the extent of her sickness because I was in Fort Collins. So I go home for, for that, that Christmas 
break. I actually, so I spent that fall working at a restaurant and trying to figure my life out. So I went home that Christmas, CSU was playing a bowl game, um, down in Vegas. Were you on the team at that time? Yeah. 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 So I was in Vegas. Yeah. So we (laughs) do, we've been to Vegas together, bro. (laughs) So I road tripped out to Vegas for that bowl game with a bunch of my buddies and but that Christmas break, I came home and I saw the I saw the state that my mom was in, and um, realized, wow, this is worse than I thought it was. Um, it had become a full time job for my dad to take care of her, and he had just retired basically so that he could take care of her. Um, and I was pretty lost in Fort Collins at that point, anyway. So I was like, yeah, I'll come home and help you. And so I came home, and at that point, I was like man, God has put ministry on my heart for some reason. And I don't know why. And so I had this free time. I was taking care of her throughout the night. And my dad was taking care of her throughout the day. And, um, and so I had this free time during the day. And so I just dove into ministry. Had no idea what I was doing. But God, for some reason, before I left Fort Collins, actually had put youth ministry on my heart. So I called the dude that um, that I, the ministry that I went to when I was in high school. And I was like, hey, man, like, I just want to get into some volunteering. Like, if you guys need people, whatever. Ended up getting into ministry at a place called K-Life. And then his wife was still working there. He was actually at Cherry Hills. And he's and him and his wife were like, dude, just check out both of our ministries and, you know, decide what, you know, whatever you want to volunteer at. I had all this free time. So I said, I'll just do both. Um, and then I met Scott. Well, I, I mean, I grew up with Scott. Scott Miller. Scott Miller. I love Scott Miller. I if you, too. if you, everyone needs either a Scott Miller in their life or someone like Scott Miller in their life. Dude, he's my best friend, man. He's, yeah, he and I have had a really close bond so for a long time. But we grew up together. But he's a year older than me, so I was actually friends with his younger brother who was in my class. So I've known Scott for a long, long time since I went in fifth grade to Cherry mm-hmm. Hills. Um, but I remet him when I got back there. He was volunteering at both ministries, playing keys and leading a small group and whatever. So we reconnected and um, ended up drumming. Long story short, I ended up drumming at both ministries. Hadn't played in a long time. And especially worship. Um, I played in a jam band up in Fort Collins before I left. That was cool. But um so I ended up drumming with Scott like four or five days a week. And then I ended up sharing a room with him starting then, lasting for six years. and shared a bunk bed for the last two years of those six years. <laughs> um, you guys were, uh, what is, why am I blanking on Will Ferrell and... Brennan and... Uh, yeah. Uh, what, but what is that movie? Step why, Brothers. Step Brothers. You guys, yeah. you had room for activities. You had a bunk Lots bed. Of room. <laughs> But we were doing like camps and, and and like retreats and stuff too. So like Scott and I were literally together like seven days a week, most weeks. And I ended up taking on two small groups of guys, one at each ministry, playing a lot of worship. And I just, ministry became my life throughout that season. And then at the same time, I'm taking care of my mom at night. Um. And, uh, that, that was a part of my life 
where, um, in a way I was living two lives, not, not in like the, not in like the biblical sense of like, you know, double-minded, but, but like when I went home at night and took care of my mom, that was, that was my thing that I kind of kept separate from everybody else because it was, it was a pretty emotional thing. Um, I watched her deteriorate, deteriorate over that course of that next year. Um, like when I moved home, she could walk a little bit. She could get down the stairs with some help. By that summer, she was essentially bedridden. Hmm. Um, and so my job at night was like, I came up with a system. I, I ran an extension cord down the hall and I had a lamp attached to it. And I had like a thing on her end where she could just hit a button and it would turn the lamp on. So I'd be sitting in my room reading or watching a movie or whatever, writing. And... um when she needed something, she'd hit that button, the lamp would turn on, I'd run down the hall. And a lot of times it was just to roll her or to give her a drink of water. She couldn't sleep very well. Um, so it became, it was frequent. Some nights it was like every five minutes I'm running down the hall and I found myself getting frustrated with her. Some, some nights at one point, uh, I remember one night just being really frustrated and I was like, like, I'm just tired of this. And I kind of, spoke to her with an attitude one night and she looked at me at this point, at this point there was still like this little glimmer of hope of like, maybe the doctors can figure this out and maybe things will get better. Uh, she, it, it was, it was kind of decided that she needed a liver transplant. Um, and that, and that was a hope. Um, but what I didn't know this night that I, I talked to her, she, she looked at me and she was, she goes, don't get frustrated with me. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around for. And that was the first time that it really hit me where I was like, she might die. And immediately I was just like, I'm sorry. And um, she sat and talked with me and she was like, yeah, it turns out there's more going on than we thought there was. Now there might be cancer. Now there's this other thing going on too. And basically I just got taken off the transplant list today. And um, so that was that. I went to my room after that and I just sat and cried. Um, and um, tried to come to terms. I mean, at, at this point I was back in a better I was relearning the foundations of my faith, shedding some of those things from that church that I've been a part of. But my, but at this point, this is this was the first time in my life where I was connecting with God with a foundation of biblical understanding on my own volition, and not with somebody holding my hand through it, but connecting with the Holy Spirit and the gospel because I want to, and because I want to understand truly who Jesus is. And, um, so, which is amazing because honestly, man, that, that year would have been so much harder and, and so much worse, um, from a, a spiritual standpoint, had I not had that mentality, had I not been involved with ministry five, six, seven days a week, um, but I was, God put me in that place where I was serving and, 
also gave me the opportunity to get back into music, which was my passion my entire life. It was always subdued by sports or school or drugs or whatever. And, but, but music was something that I always loved. And God was like, here, <laughs> do it five days a week. And I was like, mm-hmm. great. Um, and so anyway, December came and, uh, well, let, let me tell you this, this was a cool thing God did uh, in November. She went into a coma in November of 2015. And we thought that was it. And I, um, we called an ambulance. They took her to Sky Ridge Hospital. And I remember praying that first night she was there. And I was like, God, I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Like, this is so unexpected, so, so sudden. I don't know what to do. And cried out to God. She, she came out of the coma. She came home, was good for about a week. And then she went back into a coma the night before Thanksgiving. Hmm. And that night I prayed to God and I was like, God, give me, give me one, just give me one more day to, to say goodbye to my mom. We're getting, we're getting close, huh? No, you're great. I'm, I am just, I'm making a note of something so that I can ask you about it in later. I just didn't want to interrupt you. Okay. But. We may have to cut this and rejoin, rejoin at some point. And I got like probably like 15, 20 more minutes, okay. but, but I mean, anyway, we, we can cut this section. Up. <laughs> I, I was like, God, give me one more, one more opportunity to talk to my mom. Um, so I can say goodbye to her. Um, and at this point, she's back in the coma, and it's the night before Thanksgiving. There's really no chance that she's coming out of it. And Thanksgiving Day, for no reason, for no medical reason at all, she was fully alert, um, more alert than I had seen her in a long time. Hmm. And Thanksgiving was a big holiday for us because as much as like you know, my family had some issues – Thanksgiving, we always came together and it and making Thanksgiving dinner was a tradition for us. And we all had our roles. Obviously we'd all help with a lot of the dishes, but each of us had like our dish and, yeah. and mine was always the sweet potatoes. Hmm. I love sweet potatoes and I love making them hmm. uh, with like little marshmallows and everything. And so Thanksgiving day for no reason, she's fully alert and we're doing Thanksgiving the way that we always did, except for my mom's in a bed and we sit down for dinner and uh, and have a Thanksgiving dinner and with the whole family. My brother's in town. He was living in Seattle at the time, so he's back in town. And my dad was trying to watch her diet as much as possible because he was kind of just holding on to some hope that this was all going to get better at one point. And so, and at one point, my mom, my dad goes to the kitchen to get more food, and my mom looks over at me and she's so weak. And she's so tired, but she's alert. And she goes, can I have some more of your sweet potatoes? Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you can. <laughs> and she's like, they're so good this year. And I was like, man, that's, yeah, that hit me. It was such a sweet moment with my mom. And 
So she, we had a Thanksgiving dinner and the next morning back into the coma. Hmm. And then about a week later, it was a Sunday. I walked out of my house that morning. I was going to, going to play worship at Cherry Hills that morning. Mm-hmm. And I walked out. It was a clear morning. It was still dark out. I looked at the moon. And for some reason, I looked up at the moon. And the Holy Spirit was like, today's the day. And I got this like overwhelming like emotion, but also overwhelming peace at the same time. It was so weird. And I went to rehearsal that morning and um, we got about 30 minutes into rehearsal and I got a call from my dad. And so I had, I told the worship leader, he's my, he's a friend of mine too. Um, but I was like, I got to take this call. I answered my dad goes, he goes, Hey, you, you need to get over here. Like mom's going to die today. And, um, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm at worship. And he's like, well, if you can get her here soon, you know, the doctor said that she's probably only got like a couple hours left. So I told the worship leader and he's like, dude, he's like, go be with your family. He's like, we'll adjust. We'll figure things out. Don't worry about this. Go be with them. And so I did. So I left, I went home and I got home and a few of my mom's friends were there. A couple of their friends from their church were there. My dad and my brother were there. And so we all sat around my mom in her, in her bed for, uh, you know, an hour or so, probably like 15 of us. And everyone just stood around and told stories about my mom's life. Um, she was the craziest loving person. Um, always, she just loved people better than anybody that, that I know. And, I was hearing stories from these people that I had never heard before. Some of the, some of the, her friends from college were there and we all sat around, um, her, her bed and sometime within that next hour or two, as we were all sitting and talking and laughing and crying, she slipped away. And, um, that was that. And that year of my life, came to somewhat of a, a closing, uh, December 6th. And, um, but I felt peace <laughs> and it was the strangest thing, man. Like I, I came through that year to be in a place where I was so close to the Holy spirit and he was so close to me. And, I, 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 some days I look back at that and I'm like, man, I should have been more emotional than I was like, and I was, but, uh, but it was, um, but there was peace with it too. And the next six months or so after that, you know, emotions would come and go and there'd be nights where I'd really, really feel it. Um, and I would go outside of my house where I was living at and just sit outside and cry for like hours. But man, God walked me through that year and gave me amazing friendships, um, amazing people to speak into my life 
and healed, began the healing process of some of these wounds from this church, some of the wounds from my childhood, things that um, now that I'm meeting with my counselor, I, that now I know, like trauma, but um, coming from that church and coming from just my life and who I was, I would never have said like, oh yeah, I have trauma. Like trauma to me was like, you know, getting involved in a gang, getting abused by your parents. Some of these things that I, that people consider trauma for me, I was, I didn't view myself as having trauma. Um, and because of that, because of the fact that I couldn't admit that these things were traumatic, I could never begin the healing process of those things. And so she died and I was in a good place, but dude, all of a sudden trauma began to surface in my life, um, in very subtle ways. Um, and I tried to work through these things as best as I could from a biblical standpoint, but dude, I, I didn't even know that I had this trauma from all these different things growing up in the church. I grew up in the parents that I had, the experiences that I put myself in, the relationships that I had, um, the church that I went to, um, the relationships that I lost and had to fight to get back. Um, the misconceptions I had about about marriage and, and dating, because there was no dating in that church. Marriage in that church was you get a word from God for this person, and then she has to get a word from God for you too, and then you tell your minister about it, and then they send it up the chain to Chris, and then ultimately Chris decides when the timing is right, and he gives you the approval to get married. So, dude, so that so literally, I had to like undo these concepts that I had about like what relationships look like with with a female with a girl and like what dating and, and marriage looks like so all of these things start just like surfacing and surfacing and her my mom's death was like the catalyst for that to be like man trauma just started coming out of my heart and out of my mind and all along I had this underlying depression and this anxiety that is just getting worse and worse and then I'm having panic attacks that are becoming more and more regular and, um, the dissociation was, and, and, and I'm, I, I, it sounds like I'm saying that that was non-existent for a long time. It was, it was always a thing, but it just started becoming more frequent. And then, and I actually wanted to th- one thing that my counselor told me recently, as I was explaining some of these stuff, this stuff with him, especially the, especially the panic attacks and, and, and the dissociation, he goes, he goes, dissociative episodes are like a definitive um, indicator of trauma. Like he's like, I, I can tell you without a doubt that that, that, that tells me that there's trauma in your life mm. that you haven't dealt with. And so, I mean, that's really within the past three months that he told me that. And in the past three months, the amount of light that has been shed on the different traumas that I've experienced mostly emotional and spiritual and mental, not really physical. And, and a lot of the, a lot of that trauma has been self-inflicted to some degree. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that it is trauma. And so that's what I, that's where I'm at now is going through the, the processing of these different things and starting to understand who I am, why I am the way that I am. And, 
that's the biggest thing about this season right now. I, I would tell you, and I did tell you the other day, the last two years of my life really has been this one big storm. Hmm. This just storm of all these things that I, I've been talking about. But like throughout that storm, one, one of the things that my counselor told me, you know, for the last couple of years, the, the issue of calling has been an issue for me. Cause it's like, what am I going to do with my life? What am I going to do for career? I would love to be married, but I, you know, and you know, I just ended a, a relationship with a girl, um, a week before lockdown, March of 2020. Um, and that was a three, three and a half year relationship with a girl that I was convinced that I was going to marry. I was dead set on marrying this girl and, and it just didn't work out. And that was the breaking point in, in the midst of this storm that got me to a place where I am now. And in this like period of the storm where I've just been broken and broken and broken. The one, the one thing that my counselor told me is like, dude, your calling first and foremost is to know God and Mm -hmm. to know his heart and, and, and to, and to be with him. But beyond that, your calling right now, the thing that God is calling you into is healing. Hmm. And he's like, don't worry about a, do- a job. Don't worry about money or or, or f- planning your future. Dude, dude, Calling healing can be a calling. And honestly, dude, if anyone listening to this is struggling with anything that I've talked about, that's the biggest takeaway that I can give that I have received myself in the past few months is a season of healing can be just as much a calling from God as a career, a relationship, uh, a, a position in ministry, whatever, uh, a, a, a mission. Healing is my calling right, right now. And hmm. so that's where I'm at. And the way that that has looked for me in the past few months has been understanding what I've gone through, understanding who I am personality-wise and mentally. Uh, you know, if you're from, I know you're familiar with the Enneagram, but yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a one with a two wing, um, which basically means that I'm a reformer. I think a lot, I see the world in a lot of, and I see the world. Um, I see all the issues in the world and I see all the issues in myself and mentally I try to perfect all of that and put things in order and make things the way that they should be and also make, help other people see the way that I think it should be, whether that's good or bad and fight for justice, but not in a necessarily a, you know, a social justice warrior type of way, but like a true, like what is true and what is right. And how do we, how do we get to that point? And so, and then the two wing is the helper. So, so there's that side of me that's like loving and, and, and peaceful, but so under, understanding who I am, why do I think the way that I think? Why do I approach issues the way that I do? Why do I, um, why do I view um, injustices the way that I do? And and why? And how does God? How, how is God's hand in that? And then through that lens, how can I view what I've gone through? And perfect the things that are wrong. And that becomes an exhaustive, exhaustive, like, and exhausting, um, endeavor. Um, 
that can and has led me to a certain amount of isolation, um, self-imposed, um, which isolation can be good and bad, but I have just been in a season recently where I've needed some time to just sit back and literally unpack and decompress 30 years worth of stuff. Um, and so that's the storm that I'm in right now is dude, the, 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 the way that things went down with my, the girl, we're both to blame. Um, I'm not fully over the anger that I have to be honest. Um, and, but I am also aware of my contribution to that, but I'm saying that to say that like, dude, the, the way that that stuff went down, I never want that again. I never want to go through that type of relationship again. I never want to go through that type of heartbreak again. And in order to do that, my healing is my calling. Hmm. Um, because we've talked before where you, I, you were like, I never want to date again, period. Yeah, I've said that before. Yeah. And I mean, I've been there and I've been in the, I love, never heard anyone refer to healing as a calling, but I, I believe like that is because like there were seasons when I needed healing. Uh, but I am actually like very optimistic and like proud of you in the fact that before it was like a definite, we sat in <laughs> Red Robin and you were like, nope, never dating again. And I'm like, yes, you were like, no, I really don't believe it. And I'm like, you're going to at some point. And you're like, no, I will not date again. Yeah. And today I think you're recognizing that like right now, like you, you're not going to date right now, Yeah. but like post post healing of these wounds like like it you will be able to and like to for someone out there who's like walking through because i know that you have to get to work <laughs> guys this podcast is a uh, it's real life and so we are doing uh at, at one point i was thinking we might need to like truncate this into two or like separate it into two different but i think um, we got there. We got. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about your your chronic pain over the last two years. If I you want to, but I I, I want to ask you that question real quick, and then if you want to jump into the 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 hurts um, physically, yeah. Um, yeah. I know that you have work uh, that you have to get to, and so uh, man, good conversation sometimes takes time um, when it's a good conversation. I know. So <laughs> but, I've, dude, and I've kind of just talked this whole time, which, so, I mean, I, I love it. Sorry, you're, I, you're, they, I, if I wanted to run a solo podcast, I would sit up here and just <laughs> uh, talk into a mic, but no one cares what I have to say. Yeah. Um, but uh, you've mentioned storms and I love that analogy. Uh, if you could go back to, so let's do two in one. I kind of told you that I was going to do two separate, but I think, um, if you could go back to Jordan before, uh, you ran into one of those storms, uh, cause I think the storms are unavoidable, uh, unavoidable in life. They're going to happen. Yeah. Uh, 
but not everybody has to run like the point of purpose to pain is to like, there's someone out there who is headed towards that same storm as you or a similar storm. Mm-hmm. Um, you walked through the eye of it and a, it would have been a lot more less damaging if you stayed on the outsides of it. Yeah. Um, I think it would be naive, naive to say, I'm going to avoid all storms in life. And then like pats my knee and like, <laughs> like, um, pretends like everything's going to be okay. But like, you're going to be in storms, but like, if you could talk to Jordan pre storm, what would you say? Mm. Uh, or do, and then if you could help one person who might be walking into a storm um, that because the thing about storms is like there's no Doppler Doppler Doppler. There's no Doppler radar where they're like, no. here's this storm coming. Better prepare for it. It's kind of like you take a sharp turn and it's like you get smacked in the face by golf ball sized hail. And yeah. um, if you could. And in that moment, it feels like you have an instant to react. Like either you're going to take this route or this route and you don't know which one to take and what, which one's going to cause more like there's, there's no overpass to park your car underneath to avoid the hail. Like you just kind of keep, have to drive on the highway. Um, and so if you could give one person a piece of advice to maybe avoid the, um, the football sized hail. Yeah. Well, okay. First, I would say the point, the turning point where I started to walk into a storm. Every, everything since, <clears throat> everything since about March or April of 2019, that was the beginning of walking into the eye of the storm. Yeah. <laughs> I love metaphors and I love analogies. Yeah. So I'm just going to run with this. Yeah. No, let's, let's keep it going. That's great. Um, March, April of 2019 was the beginning of this eye of the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm only now walking out of the other side of the eye of the storm. So, but that being said, the beginning of the storm was when I left that church maybe the season surrounding that, the season of leaving mm-hmm. that church, which includes leaving the church, kind of kind of getting back into some of the drug stuff, and then eventually moving home to take care of my mom. That is the turning point where I think I walked into a storm, unknowingly. Um, and I'll say this too. I think that some storms in life are self-imposed, like I've mentioned. And... Yeah, that's that. But then there are other storms that you cannot avoid. You will not avoid. And yeah. and that's good. It's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to walk through storms. I think, I believe that God allows us, and not only allows, but places us sometimes in these storms. And and it sucks, man. It, it sucks to know that, but it's also incredibly revealing of who God is, hmm. that he will place you in that storm and then he'll walk you through it. Yeah. Um, shelter you from the big hail sometimes. So anyway, I'm just preaching. <laughs> no, no, real quick, but I haven't, uh, there was a study of this, like they created this like perfect green house environment and they planted all these trees and, uh, it was utopia for plants. It was like, um, and the minute they took the dome off, the first piece of wind blew these giant <laughs> trees like up and out, yeah. um, because they weren't forced by the storms of like if a, a tree that's naturally grown outside has to withstand storms. And m- because of that, it has to dig its roots yeah. like way down. Uh, and I feel like the Lord was like digging, making you dig your roots down because you were about, he knew what you were about to walk into. Yeah. 
Um, and if you would have just had these superficial, like you can keep it pretty above the surface, but if you have no roots, then the easiest thing could toss you. Um, yeah. And sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I love that. And honestly, man, it's crazy. I, uh, honestly, I should talk to, to Scott about this, but like, dude, Scott has seen this entire storm. When I reconnected with Scott, it was that season where I told you I was walking into the storm. So he he's, he's the only person in my entire life that has watched me walk through this entire storm. And uh, Scott, if you're listening, we should talk sometime about it because <laughs> I would love to get uh, his perspective on it. But I just thought about that when you were saying that because he's watched those roots be tested. Anyway, I love Scott. Mm-hmm. Love you, Scott. Um. Anyway, I to 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 me. Yeah. At that moment, in that in the beginning of this storm, if I could go back and talk to myself at that point, dude, buckle up, man. Like, honestly, I what what I would tell myself would be like, dude, you're walking into something right now that you're not going to be able. To, I can't. I, I I can't tell you what this is going to be like. I can't tell you what the outcome is going to be. Um, because you're still living it. True, but even at this point, like. I wouldn't even want to tell myself what has happened so far because, yeah, I wouldn't. But I would tell myself, you're going to make it. Mm-hmm. And, and like, dude, just keep going. Just mm-hmm. keep going. Um, and get ready, man. It's going to be a lot of fun at times. There, there were, I've had some really fun times in, throughout this storm, man. I've had times where I've seen God move in my life, other people's lives. Um, whatever. Um, but then there's been the, the worst of it too. And, and so anyway, that's, that's that to, to anyone who, who's going through similar stuff, especially man, especially the depression, the anxiety, the suicidal ideations, temptations, contemplations, that stuff. Cause that's real, man. That's real. And I, I would lie. I would be lying to you if that was, if I said that that was not still a struggle. Mm-hmm. at times or throughout this past storm. And so if, 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 if someone else is going through any of those types of storms, the biggest thing that I can say is to remain with mm. Jesus. Like, and that's one thing that he's speaking heavily into my heart right now, but dude, to avoid, to avoid as much heaviness, as much of that, of that baseball sized hail to avoid as much of, like the worst of these storms. And like I said, to some degree, this is not on you. You can't avoid some of this stuff. God is going to do what he's going to do. And that's ultimately awesome. But dude, the biggest thing, if you want to avoid contributing to that storm, yeah, remain in Jesus. And, and what I mean by that is like, don't take time off from your meditation, your prayer life, your, you're, you're getting in the word life, your relationships within the church. Hmm. Um, even when it's hard, man, like I've had seasons where I'm like, I don't want to tell anybody what I'm going through. And, and so I didn't. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, those have been some of the hardest moments is where it's like, I'm not going to tell anybody because this is my storm to deal with. I don't want to burden anybody with this. But also, I don't want to embarrass myself. I'm already ashamed of who I am, um, 
to some degree. That's, that is an aspect of a one, but I think that's also just a human aspect. The things that it's so shameful. It is so shameful to tell anybody, Hey man, sometimes I don't want to be alive. And sometimes I've thought about making that. So, Hmm. um, and, but dude, talking to people is a big part of that. And so is everything else that I just said about remaining. Um, and one thing I'll say is like, dude, everybody has somebody in their life that wants to know, that wants to hear, that wants to help you. You just got to find that person, man, whether it's a parent, a friend, a sibling, maybe just a pastor. Maybe it's just a pastor that you have. Maybe you don't have any relationships like that. A pastor will be willing to listen. And I'll, and I'll say this too, just as a broad statement, man, if anyone hears this podcast and is like, nope, that's me. I, I have nobody. I have nobody I can talk to about this stuff. Dude, find me. Seriously. Yeah. If you're listening to this, you probably know Mitch. <laughs> yeah. And if that's the case, dude, find me and I'll talk to anybody about this stuff. But yeah. Anyway. Same, same. Um, thank you for offering that. Uh, and I'll put, <laughs> I'll put Jordan's um, Instagram in the in the show notes sure i'm, I'm just uh, like off of instagram but oh you are off instagram well, well then yeah. you you have me on instagram and i i can connect you well, that's the thing though is like be willing to talk to somebody uh because there is some like dude i think i think the biggest whisper and that's but the and then the one little final note and then i think that the the enemy whispers like hey you're alone in this because he knows that they're that you're not and so uh you as Whoever's sitting out there, first of all, like you will be missed. Um, you are loved. You may not feel like it. Um, dude, th- there was one point because I've been in similar like suicide ide- ideation, ide- ideation, ideation. Yes. That's the word. There it goes. Words are hard. Um, and and it's weird that like I relate so hard to this. And there's times that I've literally sat in this, but like I like old school rap. Yeah. And yeah, Tupac, my, Tupac oh, has a lyric that says, "It's my heart." But when I held that nine, I, all I could see was my mama's eyes. Yeah. Uh, and and then it continues on to say that, like, no one knows my struggle. That you've only seen the trouble. Not knowing it's hard to carry on when no one loves you. Mm. Um, no man alive has ever witnessed struggles I've survived. Um, and I think that's the point of this podcast. I, I partially, like, that's how he felt in that moment. But, like, this podcast, there are men alive who have, who have like, experienced what you've survived. Um there are people who know the struggle and like, man, I, I so clearly remember laying in bed one night being like, I'm, I'd be so fine dying right yeah, now, yeah. but I don't know if my, I, I don't want to hurt my mom. Right. <laughs> like, I don't want to have to put my mom through that. Uh, and so I, um, would just encourage you that like, there is somebody out there that, that, will a relate to you and i guarantee you that there's someone in your life if you were bold enough and courageous enough and just you're at that point where you're like i just need to talk to somebody they're there the worst Uh, thing you can do is not talk about it 100 percent um man (sighs) um today was awesome jordan thank you for for sharing and i I appreciate your vulnerability. And the thing is, is like, 
it's funny because we spent a lot of time talking about um, the crap that we've done and you've <laughs> done. That like, I think it humanizes the per- people that are behind um, this podcast uh, yeah. because you may s- sit and listen to me talk and think like, oh, he's got it put together. Like he's putting a podcast. And like, yeah. nope, I had a whole journey on the way to, and I'm still, the cool thing is, is like, I, I see again, back to the analogies is like, well, we are in a spiritual war. If you don't know, now you do. Uh, every day you yeah. wake up, you're in a spiritual war. Uh, but wars aren't for the most part um, consistent of just one bat or like they don't just consist of one battle. It's a multitude of battles clumped together that make a war. And mm-hmm. uh, we all have gone through different battles and you walk from one battle to the next and you're in a battle right now. Uh, that looks different than the battle that you were in uh, in high school, which looks different than college. And um, I love that you were able to come on and be like, hey, I went through this, I went through this, and I'm still going through this because I think you're going to, until the day that you die, be going through it. Yeah. We live in a broken world. We do. And, yeah, I've come to terms to some degree with the fact that, like, and there were pieces of me that needed to be chipped away, broken off and broken down. Even, even like, you know, I would say 2017, 2018 was where I felt the most well, the most at peace, the most close to the Lord. And even still, even in that moment, God was like, nah, there's more breaking that mm-hmm. needs to happen. And so I've come to terms with the fact that like, this is an ongoing thing. And that's a good thing because he promises us that he will constantly be refining and, um, um, sanctifying us. Mm-hmm. So this is, it's not over and it, it never will be life. That's the process of life. So even though I'm walking out of this storm right now, it feels like, um, storms are going to keep coming. So, yeah. Well, dude, Jordan, thank you. Uh, if you are listening and you're still here, um, this is what this podcast is. Uh, I won't apologize for long episodes. Uh, <laughs> Break it up into four, five, six, seven, eight, twelve different listenings. Uh, but there's gold all the way up till the end. There's, there's, uh, Holy Spirit is done when He's done. <laughs> so, uh, until next time, uh, I, I appreciate you all. Jordan, thank you for coming. And, uh, we will see you next week. Peace. Love, love you, man. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the Over a Drink Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the Over a Drink Podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then we send it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms 
of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace.